0: You are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. It's 6 p.m., Thursday, December 9th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, on the California report, the city of Palm Springs is about to swear in the first transgender person to serve as a California mayor, the state unleashes $500 million in grants for park deficient communities, and the FDA cracks down on some slick but unproven claims about vaping. After regional news and weather, Bravehearts drills down into 211 Connecting Point. And we end with an essay from Molly Fisk. This
1: is the California Report. I'm Leslie McClurg in San Francisco. A real estate company that buys foreclosed homes and then flips them for profit may have to pay big bucks. California Attorney General Rob Bonta has announced a $3.5 million judgment against Wedgwood, which is a firm that's based in Los Angeles, but it's also active here in the Bay Area. It's the same company that garnered national attention back in 2019, because Wedgwood owned the home in Oakland occupied by the group Moms for Housing. Bonta says the company uses a range of illegal tactics to evict tenants.
2: We will be flipping Wedgwood's business model on its head, ensuring that tenants of its homes are afforded full protection under the law.
1: If this is approved by the court, Wedgwood would have to comply with all local, state and federal eviction laws, including providing prior notice. The company has not responded to a request for comment. History will be made in the city of Palm Springs later this evening because a new mayor is on tap. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi has the details.
2: When Lisa Middleton is sworn in, she will be the first transgender person to serve as mayor in California and only the second in the country.
3: It's a milestone both for my city and uh, my
2: community. Middleton was elected to the Palm Springs City Council in 2017 and was recently appointed to California's Transgender Advisory Council. She says when she first came out as transgender in 1995, she never imagined she would be able to hold a position like mayor.
3: I am just thrilled to see individuals have opportunities that, gracious, uh, just a decade or so ago, I would have thought impossible.
2: Middleton says her main priority during her one-year term will be addressing the city's homeless problems specifically with a focus on mental health services. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi.
1: The state is launching a new plan that will give underserved communities better access to parks. More than $500 million in grants will be provided to community projects as part of the Outdoors for All initiative.
2: Many Californians live in park-poor communities. We estimate about 6 out of 10 Californians live in park-poor communities, and that is those communities that don't have enough parks and open space and recreational opportunities for their kids.
1: That's Wade Crowfoot. He's California Natural Resources Secretary. He says the funding will be used to build 50 brand-new parks and then expand or renovate dozens of other parks in disadvantaged communities.
3: Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at WaterHeatersOnly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at SchmidtFutures.com, and Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits stanfordhealthcare.org/adaptingcare
1: Some vape companies are promising their products help you focus, sleep, relax, but the Food and Drug Administration is warning consumers that those claims are not true, and filling vaporizers with vitamins and essential oils could actually be pretty dangerous. I'm joined now by Pamela Ling. She's the director of the UCSF Center for Tobacco Control Research and Education. Good morning, Dr. Ling. Good morning. I was looking at some of these websites, and they are very impressive websites, by the way. Looks very legitimate, and they make some really powerful claims, like promising to fight off tumors and alleviate symptoms of chemotherapy. Is there any chance any of these promises are true?
4: I think the reason why the FDA is sending these warning letters to these companies is that there is no evidence that these claims are true. You're right that these websites can look very slick, and especially these days with graphics capabilities, things can look really legit, but those claims are not proven. Do we even know if these nutritional
1: supplements, additives, et cetera, are in the products? Is anyone checking?
4: Uh, as far as I know, we don't know for sure what the products contain. One issue is whether or not the products actually contain the vitamins that they claim, and then the second issue is whether or not even a product that contains those vitamins can deliver on the health claims.
1: And couldn't it be potentially dangerous to, say, inhale neroli oil or ginseng or vitamin B12?
4: Sure. What we know is that there's a big difference between uh, inhaling something and uh, taking it in a pill or in a salve. What we do know from studies of uh, nicotine vaping is that the vapor itself produced by these devices have high levels of uh, fine particulates, and they have uh, solvents. And the effects of inhaling these chemicals can be very similar to inhaling cigarette smoke.
1: Is there an example of some kind of injury coming out of inhaling one
4: of these products? Well, you might remember that in the past year or so, there were several cases of serious lung injury associated with vaping. And it was called Evali, which was a lung vaping disease. And it turns out that most of those cases were caused by people inhaling vitamin E acetate. This is an example of inhaling something that contained vitamin E that was not uh, tested and turned out to cause really serious lung injury. What's your
1: message to consumers or to people who do vape?
4: So my message to consumers would be uh, beware the fact that the FDA is warning consumers about these products should really give you pause. Don't inhale anything into your lungs other than clean, fresh air. And uh, particularly inhaling things like vitamins, even though you know it can sound really attractive to have your cognitive function enhanced or your energy boosted or to treat anxiety and depression, we really don't have any evidence that these inhaled vitamins do any of those claims, and they can potentially be really harmful to your health. Thank you so much, Dr. Ling.
1: No problem. Thanks for the opportunity to chat. Pamela Ling is the director of the UCSF Center for Tobacco Control Research and Education. And that's the California Report for Thursday, December 9th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Leslie McClurg in San Francisco. Thanks for
0: listening. In regional news, the Union newspaper of Grass Valley reports that Nevada County Public Health Officer Dr. Scott Kellerman issued a new order Wednesday which requires that youth participating in indoor sports be tested for COVID-19 twice per week if they won't be wearing masks while playing. The order went into effect today. In a Q&A Wednesday, Kellerman said Nevada County's COVID-19 numbers remain higher than the statewide average. As of Wednesday, according to state data, Nevada County had a seven-day average of 17.1 daily new cases per 100,000 residents, while the average rate per 100,000 residents statewide was 109 The county's seven-day average test positivity rate as of Wednesday was 5.4%, while the statewide rate was 2.5%. School guidance from the State Department of Public Health updated last month stated that if masks are not worn due to heavy exertion during sports activities such as practice, conditioning, or competition, it is strongly recommended that individuals undergo screening testing at least once weekly. Kellerman said Wednesday, We're really happy the kids are back in school, we're really happy they're participating, and we certainly applaud all these activities. But in order to protect the kids, we'd like to see measures a little stricter than what the state is recommending. Kellerman stated Wednesday that it's recommended that others present at youth sports events, including coaches, spectators, and those not actively playing, wear masks, and that all participants in youth sports also be vaccinated. He added that since teams often compete in other counties, his recommendation is that they follow the guidelines of whichever county has the stricter measures in place. The Sacramento Bee reports today that a father and son have been taken into custody on suspicion of sparking the Caldor Fire that erupted August 14th near Grizzly Flat in El Dorado County. Two sources told the Bee that David Scott Smith, 66, of Somerset, and his son, Travis Shane Smith, 32, of Folsom, are accused of reckless arson in the fire. The pair were taken into custody on a type of warrant that is issued before criminal charges are formally filed, sources told the Bee They are expected to be charged in El Dorado Superior Court. Both men are being held in the El Dorado County Jail today in lieu of $1 million bail, online jail records show. They are scheduled to face arraignment Friday afternoon in a Placerville court. Sacramento attorney Mark Reichel, who represents both men, said Travis Smith is an electrician who was with his father near the fires Origin east of Omo Ranch and south of Grizzly Flat, saw the flames, and called 911 to report it. Reichel said the younger Smith called 911 repeatedly because the call kept dropping in the remote terrain and that the men warned other campers they saw of the danger. The fire largely destroyed the town of Grizzly Flat and forced the evacuation of thousands of residents throughout the Sierra, including South Lake Tahoe and communities along Highway 50 down to Pollock Pines. The blaze burned actively for more than two months. Also from the Sacramento Bee, police in Placer County have arrested a 16 year old student from Lincoln, suspected of posting an Instagram video this week that claimed a shooting could occur at 12 Bridges High School. The teenager was arrested Wednesday on suspicion of making criminal threats and booked at the Placer County Juvenile Hall, according to a news release from the Lincoln Police Department. Police said the boy did not have any guns or weapons in his possession when he was taken into custody. Sierra Roots and Nevada County are activating their extreme weather shelter protocol for tonight and Friday night due to the drop in temperatures. The shelter in the lower level of the Nevada City Veterans Hall on North Pine Street will open at 4:30 p.m. in the evening and close at 7:30 in the morning. In regional weather, one storm has moved through and another is on the way. The regional forecast for Friday is for clouds mixed with sun and daytime highs around 50. Rain and cooler temperatures will move in late Saturday and last most of next week. In the high country, snow showers are expected after midnight Saturday, with snowy conditions lasting into next Thursday. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, a few clouds with a low of 37 degrees. Friday will be sunny with a high of 51 and a low of 38. In Truckee tonight, mainly clear with a low of 9 degrees. Friday in Truckee, a few clouds with a high of 35 and a low of 15. In Sacramento this evening, some clouds with a low of 35. Friday in Sacramento, mostly sunny with a high of 53 and a low of 36. In the next installment of Braveheart's deep dive into Nevada County's 211 connecting point, Betty Louise talks to Lindsay Gordon and Ulysses Palencia about how active listening can uncover the unspoken needs of callers and give them hope.
2: Welcome to this edition of Braveheart's,
3: where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis.
2: We are your hosts, William Wallace
3: and Betty Louise,
2: and these are the Bravehearts.
5: And absolutely active listening is probably the number one skill that they need to employ to listen for those unspoken needs and really meet people where they're at. I think is really the most important thing. We can provide them the information and that's what we want to do is, is give them information and the resources to empower them to act on their own behalf when they're ready and take advantage of what's available to them. And then we follow up with people. So we want to see, did they make a successful connection with the resource? Did they make it to the shelter? Let them know we're still here if any other needs arise so that we're really like closing that loop and making sure that our referrals are successful. We do a really good job of explaining what they can expect in the process, that we're going to be asking some questions. We set an expectation for how long it may take. And you do get people who are upset and have been trying to get services for a long time and have been struggling for a long time. But we always let them know, you know they've made a big step by calling us and that we're gonna get them in that database, gonna make them eligible for services, it really varies. But again, overall, I think people, even if they start out upset, We know how to handle those delicate situations and explain the process, let them know what's available and what they can expect next. And really by getting on the by-names list, the long-term housing wait list, certainly some people can get housing relatively quickly within a matter of a few months and there's some people who are on that list for a long time before they're able to access services and it really has to do with their vulnerability level. Based on that, we let them know the best thing that they can do is contact us and let us know if their contact information changes so that these housing providers are able to reach them when they do become eligible for services. And we do have other housing-related resources. Another service that we're working on right now is Housing is Key, which is the California COVID-19 Rental Relief Program. So we actually process applications for that program. What that does is it allows people who are behind in rent due to a COVID-related loss in income to work with the state and potentially their landlord if their landlord wants to play ball, so to speak, to get payment for back-due rent and rent going forward. And so far to date, for Nevada County, we have helped people obtain $50,000 in rental payments. Started doing it in, I think, April was when we began the process. We've processed a ton of applications. It's gotten simpler. There used to be a ton of paperwork involved and the state's made it easier and easier to access it. And so it's nice to see the people we're helping finally getting those payments. And we can actually help halt an eviction. So if someone's gotten a three-day notice, they can start the application process with us, can provide that documentation, proving that they're in the process of going through this program stop the eviction. Do you have any specific stories?
6: So like the housing is key that we have people in the county that we've assisted and they go through the whole process. So dropping off the documents here in office just so we can receive those and upload them. And I've actually done the follow-up for people that have been approved and just say like, okay, I've got the last seven months paid for and I have the next three covered under this program. That's going to give me the, the time I need to hopefully get back on my feet. One of the applicants is like in this general neighborhood, from what I recall doing the application. I've helped with a lot of those applications. So, actually, the follow ups when, when you know giving the call back when they've been approved, those are probably like the, the happiest
3: calls yeah, that I've had. I was at. gonna say, um, your just favorite informing calls. them,
6: yeah, for sure. Just informing mm-hmm. them or you know letting them know that they may be eligible for additional funding if they still need the help, um, and that sigh of relief, like, okay, there's I can get a little bit more, I, things didn't work out exactly how I thought it would over the last month, but if I can get another three months. Within that program, definitely a lot of success, and I actually rechecked the numbers today, and now we're at 80000 so the, the applications are, are going, and we do a couple each day. There's definitely success stories there. I think the end goal of the cause, whether it's the rental assistance or the coordinated entry, is for people to leave with some sort of hope.
2: Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind.
1: This
3: project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org.
0: And now, Molly Fisk.
2: Molly Fisk, observations from a working poet.
3: The world gives us so many chances to feel like a failure, doesn't it? All those invisible standards out there and the constant comparison to other people. As if you could really compare one life to another, which you can't. I'm thinking of this because my 45th College Reunion report is due tomorrow, and I've been putting off writing it. I really like my life. I designed it to be interesting and nourishing at the same time, so I'm not rushing to reach retirement age when I can relax and play golf or take a cruise down the Danube. I'm terrible at golf, for one thing, just awful, and Austria is closed because of COVID, so the Danube wouldn't be much fun even if I had the money to go. I like my life, but it's not a traditional American life, the way that's shown us from all directions, nuclear family, heterosexual, consumer-driven but solvent, everyone physically and mentally shipshape, etc. So when I'm asked to describe it as in a reunion report, I feel awkward. Also, my college was Harvard and many of my classmates, for better or often for worse, are running the world. Their reports will include Supreme Court cases they won, pacemakers and bullet trains they've invented, what it's like to be the director of public health for the state of New Mexico, that sort of thing. Bill Gates dropped out of our class before graduation, so at least we won't have to hear from him. And Yo-Yo Ma was a year ahead of us, so his notes won't be included either. You get the idea. I thought about not writing anything, just giving them my contact info to include... But when I read these reports every 20 years or so, it's kind of fascinating to see what people have to say. I do roll my eyes, but feel disappointed when there's just an address for someone I used to know. I have five close friends from those days and don't need a report on them. We're in touch. 45 years ago, I was 21. After graduation, I headed straight for Norway to live abroad for a year, since I wasn't going to med school, law school, or business school like everyone else, but thought I ought to have a plan. I worked as an au pair and then in a ski hotel and collected sweater patterns from different regions, something I turned into a business later back in the States my first of four or five careers, which I won't go into except to say I always felt too rowdy to work for anyone else, and it hasn't been hard to invent jobs I can do on my own. One can't really brag about an ordinary life in a Harvard reunion report, even when that life is immensely satisfying and this month's mortgage is paid. So I'll brag about it to you, dear listener who knows community radio matters, and small-town life is profound, even though it's not covered by the Wall Street Journal. And let's face it, Bill Gates has had a good run, but he can't boast about having once been a waitress in Norwegian.
2: Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
0: That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, it's The Climate Report with Martin Webb. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs every weekday at 6 p.m. Check out our website, kvmr.org, to hear expanded versions of many of our stories and interviews. Or listen to the KVMR Evening News wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Sweetland Garden Mercantile in downtown North San Juan. Retailing fall harvest supplies, irrigation and plumbing needs, seasonal recreation gear, and much more. Open 9 to 5, closed Sundays. SweetlandGM.com or 292-9000 dig it and milkman toner company providing local hometown service for network printers copiers and scanners carrying environmentally safe remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support serving northern california counties also san francisco to lake tahoe milkmancompany.com this is joyce miller signing off have a great evening